Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. I guess I wanted to start my um, sermon this afternoon by just giving you a bit of backstory, a bit of context on um, how I got to this point at the moment. Um, so going back a little while, Caro and I, we had a bit of a chat about uh, the sermon for tonight. And as we're reading Scott's Eric, uh, Scott Erickson, that's a name, his book on Honest Advent, uh, that's where all these pictures around the room are from, we thought it would be good to pick a couple of chapters from his book and do a sermon about them. So Caro asked me, have a quick flick through, see what stands out, and um, put together a sermon. I went, yep, great, no worries. So I had a quick flick through. And the two chapters that stood out for me was on fear and vulnerability. Not the happiest of chapters, but I thought there was some good sermon potential in there. So I decided to go ahead with that. Now here's the thing. Between when I chose those chapters and standing here before you this afternoon, I didn't know it at the time, but I've actually gone through quite a vulnerable and fearful time in my own life where things are kind of feeling like they're a bit upside down at the moment. And as I was writing and thinking about uh, tonight's talk, it became increasingly aware in my mind that it would be quite hypocritical of me to stand up here and talk to you about fear and vulnerability while holding a lot of this stuff that I'm going through, all this angst that's going through inside of me, back. And so, yeah, I started to get really uncomfortable because it's not easy being vulnerable. It is scary. And so tonight might be a little bit different, might be a little bit raw, um, but I think it's important as well maybe more so for me, because I know it's important that we're real with one another. Especially here, it's one of our values here at Central Church as well. We don't hold in high regard you know, your qualifications as much as your authenticness, your realness, and how we can be vulnerable and relate with one another. And so with that challenge pulsing through my mind as I'm writing this, I realise, yeah, I would have to be quite honest and share with you um, a bit of what I've been going through lately as well. So, um, yeah, here goes. <laughs> uh, some of you might know that I recently walked away from my job. Uh, my last day was Friday the 13th, just gone a few weeks ago, um, funny enough. and. This is a company that I've worked for in, for over 20 years, a long time, more than half of my life. And it was a full-time job, and so yes, there's that anxiousness about losing that full-time income, but it's more than that as well. A lot of my identity, my purpose, my self-worth, my pride, my friendships, connections, a lot of this stuff was tied up in this company that I went to five days a week, 38 hours a week for the last 20 years. And so to leave a lot of that behind, I feel quite vulnerable and empty now. And it's a strange feeling for me to come to terms with. And I do believe that. I, this isn't just something I did on a whim. This was a really hard decision to make. I believe strongly that God was telling me it was time to close the book on this chapter, so to speak, and take a step of faith. 
But yes, it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. And especially because of the fact that I didn't have another job lined up on the other side. And to be honest, I still don't have another job lined up on the other side. So this is the first time, these last three weeks have been the first time since I was 17 that I've not had a full-time job. And it's strange, and it's eerie, and it's a bit daunting. And it's not logical either. We're in the midst of, a, well, probably hopefully on the back end now of a pandemic, but globally we're still in the midst of it. Uh, there's also been talk of recession. It's not a smart time to leave a stable income. My wife, Fung, also lost her job during COVID as well. And so currently our main income is uh, Fung's business that she has only started about a year or so ago. Uh, however, I'm happy to say that in the last few weeks, we have seen some blessings come through in that area and it seems to be getting stronger, which, it, which is really encouraging. But still, the walking away, there was that war going on inside me. It didn't make sense. But somehow staying there made even less sense. Somewhere deep down in my guts, it, it didn't feel right. It's like it was going against everything inside of me. And I'm the kind of person, I find comfort in the routine, in the predictability, in the day-to-day, day-in, day-out routine. And, and usually I'm happy with that. So for me to go against that natural gut feeling that I've always had all my life, I can only understand that to be the gentle persuasion of the Holy Spirit inviting me to take a step out into something. And so now I find myself in that uncomfortable place of liminal space. And a few months ago, I actually did a podcast about liminal space. I had no idea then I'd be actually walking through the thick of it now, but that's how it works. And I also realised that to speak about it tonight, if I was to talk about any other topic than vulnerability, I wouldn't have to actually share this with you tonight either. But because I chose vulnerability... Here I am, and I'm just putting that down to uh, God's sense of humour, which I think is a little bit twisted sometimes, but <laughs> there you go. Anyway, so in this place, liminal space, it's when the old has ended, but the new has not yet begun. And I know from my readings and research and study about liminal space, the best thing to do is when you find yourself in it is to sit there and drink and feel. But that is so hard to do. And something else that struck me while uh, I was writing this sermon as well is that I've been in church all my life, brought up in a Christian family. And I've heard many, many testimonies about when people have gone through hard times, but God came through, with, uh, through for them, and it's all okay out the other side. However, thinking back, almost every testimony I've heard, it's always been after God has come through, after the fact, and everything is now okay. It's rare that I've actually heard a testimony while someone's going through the crap right here, right now, through the trials and tribulations, and are here to share about it. And there's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> this could end up being very embarrassing for me. This could all come to nothing. God might not come through like the way I'm hoping him, he does, and I might end up running back to my job with my tail between my legs, and that would be soul-crushing for me, but that's what might happen. But I feel it's important for me to be, again, real here in front of you tonight, then just have a trophy story to share with you sometime down the track. And so, just a bit of a disclaimer, what I'm talking to you about tonight is 
just really a, a snapshot of where my head's at at the moment. This is still very much a work in progress. It's a little bit messy, probably a little bit disjointed. I'm still just working this out as I go along. But I've been doing reading, I've been praying, I've been trying to spend time with God, and this is where I feel I'm um, at at the moment. And so if I do come across as a bit you know, smug or conceited or something like that, I apologise. It's not my intention, it's just me, I guess, displaying what's going on inside me right here, right now. I think this sermon is really, for me, as much for anyone else that might be going through something similar at the moment, or has before, or perhaps will be down the track as well. And one of the big challenges I've had in this time is I feel like I've been at war with my ego. And I feel I need to speak this out as well, because I found in this time of liminal space, my ego is reaching out and trying to grasp onto any lifeline it can to feed itself. And I'm becoming increasingly aware of that as well. And so sometimes when I'm talking to people, I feel some need to, to boast about, look at this faithful step I'm taking. Look how holy I am stepping out into the unknown without any security, just relying on God. But yeah, the truth is, I'm a bit petrified, to be honest, if I'm to be real with you. Or sometimes I want to slander my workplace, talk about how toxic it was. And so me walking away makes me look more righteous or justified in doing so. But I know that's not the right attitude to have about it either. But for the most part, I just try to distract myself with whatever I can. I'll be watching a lot of The Crown lately, and I'm glad I don't have their lives. <laughs> I think what I'm going through is uh, not quite the same amount of humiliation as uh, what some of the characters on there have had. So that kind of helps put things in perspective. But yeah, that, that distraction, that's probably my go-to. If I don't have to think about it, if I don't have to feel feel it, then it doesn't really matter, perhaps. But I know I'm only feeling, uh, fooling myself. Because when I do let myself feel, I do feel the emptiness inside about what I've fallen away from. And there is that sense of falling again and again and again. And it really is uncomfortable. And so when I sit in this place, what I do try to do, when I'm intentional about it, when I'm sitting there and letting myself feel... I try to feel the sadness, sometimes the panic, the lack of direction, the anxiety, and those big feelings that come with this kind of step. Because I know between those big feelings, in between them are sown those intimate feelings that God places there as well. And so the feelings of hope, I feel a bit of hope as well in between those feelings of fear. A bit of promise. I feel myself being held and somehow, despite everything seeming to fall away, it, there is somehow some feeling of safety here as well. It's really hard to explain. But I know I can only feel these things of God if I let myself be vulnerable and be okay with letting both the truth and the lies of this moment wash over me. Because as much as I'd love him to, I know God's not just going to snap his fingers and make these hard feelings disappear. Instead, I know he's going to sit with me in these difficult times. And the fact that he's with me and I'm not alone, there is comfort in that, and that does help. And so in this space, what I'm trying to do is connect with that courage that I know God does give, but without it turning to some misplaced kind of bravado. I'm trying to connect with the sadness of what I've left behind, but without me crying out I've been victimised in this whole kind of thing. I'm trying to connect with that hopefulness, that anticipation 
for what will come, what I'm believing and trying to be faithful that I know will come. But at the same time, without coming across as arrogant, like my path is holier than anyone else's or anything like that, because that's ridiculous. I admit this is a humbling work, and I probably avoid it more than I should, but it's something that I'm still working at. What I've really been finding helpful at the moment is I've been slowly reading Richard Raw's book on, uh, called Falling Upwards. And I found it so helpful, actually, I'll, I'll even give it a bit of a plug for you. So if you're going through something similar and you haven't read it, or you want to read again, I highly recommend it as well. And so there's a book, but if you don't like reading, there's also videos you can watch on YouTube where he talks about it, but I think the book's better. I've got more out of it. And so in this book, if you haven't read it, Richard talks about moving from that first half of life to that second half of life. And the second half of life, he says, it's, it's more spiritual life. It's more fulfilling. It's more open than the first half of life. It's where these boundaries and structures we've built around ourselves to give us our lives purpose and meaning, they're less defined, they're blurrier, they're harder to see. But at the same time, we're closer to that authentic selves that God created us to be. If you go to that next slide, I've got a quote from it. And he says, there is a deeper voice of God which you must learn to hear and obey in the second half of life. It will sound an awful lot like the voices of risk, of trust, of surrender, of soul, of common sense, of destiny, of love, of an intimate stranger, of your deepest self. And I remember I read this for the first time the morning I was going to hand in my resignation uh, at my work. And I found this so helpful because this... I had the feel, this is exactly what I was feeling. I was feeling against my, all the logic, everything that made sense in my head, everything in my heart was telling me that no, I shouldn't stay, it is time to walk away. Something deeper and more intimate than just my head knowledge, what was logical was telling me this was the right thing to do, despite my head telling me it was the wrong thing to do. And so things like this have really helped me in this time and help back myself to think that, yes, I am on the right track. And so what God is inviting us to do here is to connect with our authentic selves. And to use a cliche that's, I'm sure, is overused, when we come to those crossroads in our lives where we can keep going along that path well-traveled or we can deviate and accept God's invitation to take a different route. And I use that word invitation intentionally because that's exactly what it is. It is an invitation. And just like any invitation, you can refuse it. And if you do, that's absolutely fine. God still loves you. He's still with you. He's still there for you. He's not going to be angry with you. I dare say he's not even going to be disappointed with you. You can still have a life full of blessing and happiness. It's fine. But if you do accept that invitation, you will enter into that, I believe, that upside-down kingdom that Jesus talks so much about, where the first is last and the last is first, you have to give to gain. You have to empty yourself to be filled up again. You have to lose your life to find it, that kind of stuff. And so it's a path to discover your truer self, who you are when you've pushed aside all that the world tells you that is important and seek instead to find your raw, unedited, unphotoshopped, unfiltered self. And others will look at you strangely if you do it. My colleagues did when, they, uh, when I told them that I'm going to be leaving. After all this time of working with them, I'm going to be leaving. And naturally, they'd ask me the question, oh, so where are you going? And I'll just go, well, nowhere. <laughs> I'm just going to sit, be still, and see what comes up. 
and I could just see behind their eyes their head just ticking over. It didn't make sense, but they, they tried to be polite, and, but they weren't sure whether to congratulate me or feel sorry for me, and they were like, huh, okay, well, um, good luck, I guess. <laughs> and so in the last week of my work, yeah, I have probably had enough awkward conversations to last me a lifetime. I don't need any more, but I'm sure more will come. Because for a lot of them, what I was doing, it was both financial and career suicide. It felt like death. It seemed like death to them. And part of me, it did as well. It was just like a black hole, what are we going to do financial-wise, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, in my gut, in my heart of hearts, it did feel like life. And that's a choice that I made. You see, you cannot enter the new until you let go of the old. This is what Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. You cannot go on a journey but still stay home. You cannot be your authentic self and celebrate that while you're still wearing a mask. This is not to say that the old is evil or wrong, though, because often we can demonize our past choices and things like that. But we need to understand we all have a starting place. We all have some initial frame of mind or worldview that we subscribe to. Um, and for myself, I was brought up in a conservative church. I was taught there's a very narrow view of God and anything outside of that view of God is wrong or at worst heresy. And that was great for me as a child to have these rigid structures around me. I knew where I stood. I knew what God meant. There was no gray area. It gave my faith, my life, structure and definition. However, as I grew and matured into an adult, I realized that those boundaries, that container that I had built around me wasn't enough to hold what was swelling up inside of me. And my desire to learn more about God, my thoughts, my understandings, my questions, my, the desire for intimacy with God, it outgrew these structures that I had around me. And so at some point, I had to say thank you to those original structures, but leave them behind. And now I've outgrown it and move on to something bigger, wider, deeper, further, more beautiful, something more intimate with God as well. And so again, you cannot enter the new until you let go of the old. This is also an interesting concept as we enter this time of Advent. You see, for Christ to come into the world, he had to let go, relinquish his power, his authority, his omnipotence, and let, let it give way to things like frailty, uncertainty, pain, oppression. If he entered the world as another oppressive power. He wouldn't be anything more than just another oppressive power, like the Romans before him or the Greeks before them, where it was the person at the top, Caesar, enforcing their view on the population. And if you obeyed, you're in, and if you didn't, you're out. He had to come as something different. And so he came to us as a vulnerable little baby, and he died as a vulnerable criminal crucified amongst other criminals. This was a vulnerable life. It was risky, it was fearful, but it was also life-giving. It saved the entire human race through it. And if you look at these two pictures up here, we've got his birth and his death. Neither are pictures of power. That first picture there, that's from Scott Erickson's book that we're reading through Advent as well, and that picture's called Mighty. And I love that picture. It's my favourite picture in the whole book because it's such a contradiction. You've got the almighty God, the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the name above all names, all of that. 
as a little baby getting his bum wiped because he can't even do it himself. And then on the other side, we'll, I couldn't find a picture of Scott Erickson's of Jesus on the cross, though. That's just a pitch, picture from uh, The Passion. But yeah, neither of those pictures show power, at least in the typical sense. They show an incredible vulnerability. And I grew up in Sunday school singing songs like, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Clap, clap. <laughs> Thank you. And that is absolutely true. Every part of that, yes, is absolutely true. But we must also acknowledge there is another part of God, a vulnerable side of God, this part of God, that wants to be intimate and exposed with us. And this is the beauty and the wonder of the incarnation, that power and vulnerability coming together. Because apparent, uh, despite this apparent weakness that we see in these images, God's will still was done, wasn't it? God still saved and redeemed mankind through the death of his son. And so there is a strength there. There is a strength in these pictures here. It's just hard to see. It's just not the typical picture we see. We think about, you know, all the politicians. It's just been election time in America and our own leaders. We never see pictures like this of them up there. It's always the power suits and the bravado and they have it all together. We don't see pictures of ScoMo getting his bum wiped or <laughs> Donald Trump on the cross. <laughs> it's, it doesn't make sense, but there is strength there. And because Christ was vulnerable, he was free and the strength there as well. You see, Jesus had no secret agenda. He was not trying to hide. He was not caught up in any intrigue or web of lies, at least not from his own doing. In vulnerability, there is release. And so I think as we think over this Advent time and as we uh, look at these pictures around the church and read the book, and think about this time of the year, we can ask ourselves questions like, what does this tell us about God? And what is God saying about how we can actually relate to him? A God that's willing to be this vulnerable with us, this real with us. The Almighty putting himself at the complete submission of his young and probably very naive, very human parents. You see, it's one thing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to stand before us in all his glory, splendor, power, majesty, and demand we be vulnerable with him. That's just another version of oppression, really. But it's a very different thing for the, that same God to come to us as a child, crying for the breast milk of his mother. And so maybe that's why he tells us to fear not. Maybe that's how we can come to terms with that amazing, those amazing two words. And so we know to fear God in Scripture often means to hold him with respect, reverence, awe. And that is often how we hear God referred to in the Old Testament. But we also get a spattering of these fear not passages. And so is it, do we fear God or is it fear not? You see, Solomon tells us in Proverbs that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's absolutely true. But at the same time, yes, it is just the beginning. You see, only once do we fear God... Can we then fear not, as God does desire to draw us into intimacy? And just like I said, we shouldn't hate our misguided beginnings or starting points. At the same time, we shouldn't completely discard that initial fear of God, that respect of God. We need to realize that is still part of the picture. Not the whole picture, but just part of the picture. You see... 
to fear not is to be invited into something larger. And we see this at least three times in the Christmas story. First, we see Mary. Angel comes to Mary, and she's told, fear not, for you are carrying the Messiah. And she's invited into God's redemptive plan for the world. And then the angel appears to Joseph, who's about to leave Mary because the kid isn't his. And the angel again says, fear not. And Joseph is invited to look after Mary and care and protect for the vulnerable Christ. And then, of course, we've got the shepherds who are visited by a whole host of angels. And the first words come out of the angel's mouth is, fear not. And they are invited in to the worship and the celebration of the newly born Messiah. You see, to fear not without first fearing is just foolishness. I'm thinking back to my childhood and uh, reading C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia novels. And I've just started reading those again with my kids as well, which is great. And I think C.S. Lewis does a great, uh, paints a great picture with Aslan, the great lion, the Jesus character in his stories. A giant lion is something, if you don't fear that giant lion at the start, when you first meet him, you're a fool. That thing could rip your head off. But only as the children become familiar with him, comfortable with him, and learn about his gentleness, his love, do they then move from the fear to the fear not. But they still hold that reverence and awe there as well. And the same is with us and God. You see, when we come to God and we fear before we fear not, what we're doing is we're putting God at the top on high where he belongs and putting us just below where we belong as well. And intimacy is only authentic when both parties, both God and us, are completely vulnerable with each other. And so I'd just like to finish with just a quote, one more quote from uh, Richard Rawls' Falling Upwards. And here Richard speaks about how we move into that second half of life and the humbleness it brings as well. He says, We must eat such humiliations with regularity and make friends with the judges, the courtrooms and the officers, that is, all who reveal to you and convict you of your own denied faults, who come into your life. Once you have faced your own hidden or denied self, there's no, not much need to be anxious about, sorry, there's not much to be anxious about anymore because there is no fear of exposure to yourself or others. You have now become the holy fool of legend and story, which Paul seems to say is the final stage. When there is no longer any persona to protect or project, you are finally who you are and you can be who you are without disguise or fear. And to me, that just feels like freedom. To be me without having to pretend or wear any of these masks is like finally being able to breathe without anything obstructing my airways. And I love that saying, that holy fool. I hope one day I'll be a holy fool. <laughs> and if anyone wants to come on a journey with me, you're more than welcome to. And maybe one day I'll be a church of holy fools together who are vulnerable and authentic with God as he's vulnerable and authentic with us. And so I hope we can all find some time to dwell on this in this Advent season, this invitation that God has given to all of us in this time. Thanks, guys. Caro. Thanks, Oren. Um, okay. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty and your vulnerability. Um, Jesus, I, I, I want to, God, I want to do what you say, but to, to know how we know what God, how, is it God? Is it pizza? Was it a, you know, like, they're the, that, so how did, how did you know? 
do you? I mean, I'm, 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 you might not know. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's there was no one big flashbang moment at all, and only looking back, I think in hindsight, you can kind of see little things and and how they fall into place, and just the timing of everything. And I, I think I was, if I was to list everything, it'd be like another. 20-minute sermons, but it's, it was just coming to terms with it. So at the start of COVID, 95% uh, of my workplace was stood down without pay, couldn't access a leave either. And I was at a very fearful place then, and I fought to keep my job, and I did so successfully, actually. I, um, I was one of only two people out of a 300-person workplace to stay on five days a week initially until JobKeeper actually kicked in and uh, then you know, we all were reduced to JobKeeper. And, and I, I fought viciously to, to be able to keep my job because I was afraid. But that is such a far-removed place now to now walking away from it. And so in some ways, it's been, this has been kind of years in the making. In other, time, in, in other ways, it's been ramped up in just a few months as well and it's you know there are some things which are more obvious so I, I did a I've been the last four years I've been doing a degree in um, Christian theology and I finished that in August just gone and the plan was always to just uh, after that to start looking around seeing what the next step was um, and then August came and went and I was still doing the same thing day in day out and then things started to change and I started to get, feel like this is, there's something going on here because inside of me started to change as well and the responses to the external changes I think that were going on around in my workplace as well. And I remember one day and I was just really just chewing on this kind of stuff, trying to work out what it all means. And, um, and I, I'm not a journaler, but like Fung is, if you go to our place, you can, Fung has dozens and dozens of journals she's written throughout her whole life. I've hardly ever do that. However, I was just going, I can't remember, I was just going through a box of stuff. I, I think I need to work out if I was going to throw it away or not. And I found a letter I actually wrote to God, uh, maybe about a year or so ago. And part of, the, and in that letter, it was talking about, kind of like what I was talking about before, I was, I know I struggle to move. I feel very comfortable in the same old, same old day in, day out kind of stuff. And so I knew I had a year or so left of my degree, but I didn't know if I had the courage to, move on and I pretty much forgotten I wrote this letter and so I basically in the letter to God I wrote if you want me to move you need to make it obvious to me <laughs> and then in the place where I was having all this stuff going around inside my guts going wow that's a really timely reminder and so there's little things like that coming back again and again people I spoke to all seemed to give wisdom full my wife was very uh, pro me moving on as well despite you know again not making sense but the people I spoke to the thing like the, the book from Richard Raw, I, I never actually bought, I had on my bedside table a stack of theology books, really dry. <laughs> and, and during this time I was trying to work it all out, somehow Richard's book ended up on top. Now I never bought that book, Fung actually bought it from an op shop for like two bucks. And um, I don't remember pulling it out of the bookshelf or anything, it just somehow ended up on top of my stack of books and so I just, I don't... It was, yeah, it must have been falling <laughs> upwards, yeah. And so I opened the book, and, oh, 
<laughs> no, and I, and I just read the first, the introduction, the first page, and it felt like it spoke to exactly what I, where I was going, what I was going through at the time. And so it's just lots of little things in combination with all the stuff going on inside of me, and I could feel an actual change. Like I said, going against my normal mode, I just I assumed <laughs> it had to be Holy Spirit, it had to be God, because I know me, and that's not me. And I still don't know 100% sure. It's still, yeah, I guess that's what faith is. Just, it's a leap. But um, we'll see what happens. Ask me in six months. <laughs> Thanks, Soren. I... I just wanted to ask that um, because I feel like we, when we're talking about vulnerability, when we're talking about uncertainty, when we're talking about risk, um, like these are real things. Like it's not like, oh, yeah, once I risked everything and now I'm fine. Like in the middle of it, to discern where is God leading us, what is going on for each one of us. Like that's an that's a individual and quite a difficult thing to to learn how to listen to. Um, yeah, and I think it's important that we talk about it, like that the life of faith is not always clear-cut. It's not always um, obvious. It's not always simple. It's not always linear. Um, it's, it's messy and complex and there's uncertainties and doubt and questions and what-ifs and somehow in the midst of all of that, God is faithful and he is good. And, um, and I am sure that as we look around at many of these images of Mary and, and Jesus as a baby, that was all present for Mary. <laughs> I don't know. Did I hear it? Was it an angel? Did I, you know, I, you know all of those uncertainties. And I think it's just, it's just really important for us to acknowledge that. And I guess what I want to ask you is um, as we come to the table tonight, the question I want to ask you is, what are you currently uncertain about? Or what is the risk at the moment in your life of faith? Or where is that, oh, I'm not sure, I'm feeling vulnerable? Like, what is it for you that is stirring inside of you? Because... When we come to the table, we come to very tangible and very real elements. We come to hold bread and wine in our hands. And in the midst of all the risk and the uncertainty and the questions and the I don't knows, we hold very tangible symbols of our ever-present God who is always with us. And so as we come to this table this evening, I want you to come bringing your risk, bringing your uncertainties, bringing your fears, your I don't knows, your I'm not sure's. And I want you to bring them and as you hold bread and you hold wine, marry the two together. That it's not like you surrender one and cling to the other for dear life. It's you hold the tension of both. And you know that in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of waiting and in the midst of I don't know and I'm not sure, Jesus is your anchor and he never leaves you 
will never forsake you and he has poured your life, his life out for you and he's got you, whatever the outcome. So can we do that tonight? Bring our uncertainties. Luke, can you glove up and break bread? Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.